Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. An Erio's original. Each week, we decide who's to blame for a historical tragedy. And each week, you tell us if we got it right. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and this is The Aftermath. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode of The Aftermath. Today, we're speaking with guest expert, Dr. Sarah Arnold. Sarah is a lecturer in media at Maynooth University, Ireland. She is also the author of Maternal Horror Film. Let's hear what she has to say about the film Psycho and the Norman Bates murders. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, thanks for having me on the podcast. So could you start off by telling us a little bit about your book, Maternal Horror Film? Uh, what sparked your interest in this subject? Well, initially, I was very interested in women in general, women's role in horror film. And I used to watch quite a number of slasher films when I was a child, uh, probably not legally, but anyway. And as I started to study film, I became really interested in women's roles. So what kind of characters they played on screen? And initially, as I said, it was looking at the final girl, so the girl who survives and how strong she is. Um, and as I was watching more and more horror films, I noticed this trend that there's always a mother in the background. So a mother who's there to sacrifice and do everything for the child, to protect her children. Or there's the mother who's just a terrible mother and who 
destroys the child's life and who's there to take away everything. And so that's where my interest in maternal horror film came from. So I started to just look at films, look at lots of different types of horror films and look at the kind of family dynamics within that. And so in terms of films like Psycho or The Others, it was looking at, I suppose, female subjectivity and maternal subjectivity in the horror film. So looking at the way in which motherhood is experienced um, and I suppose brings us to Psycho as well. So the mother that's experienced, but never there. So what is psychoanalytical theory of cinema? It is using psychoanalytic theory. So the psychoanalysis is a practice which is somewhat debunked, but still around. And it is looking at neuroses, looking at inpatients, kind of reasons why they're not necessarily functioning as well as it could be. Whereas the theory of it is using an understanding of childhood dynamics of how we become individuals, how we come to have a sense of identity and particularly gendered identity and how we can read films as reconstructing that process. So, for example, in psychoanalytic theory, you have this model by which um, men become men. They, They learn from their fathers. They learn to have a position of power. They learn that they are powerful in the world and girls learn that they are powerless. And within, let's say, a nuclear family structure, that this is a tendency. It's not universal, but it's certainly a tendency that we see modelled in the Victorian family structure that continues into today. And with film theory, it looks at the gender relationships on screen to understand how do these power dynamics play out? Why do we still see them at play? What kind of genders are punished and what are validated within films? And so how are these gender dynamics reinforced? And so that's what I find interesting about the horror film is the way in which gender dynamics are reinforced. So you find lots of heteronormativity. You find lots of good mothers who are valorized and bad mothers who are punished. Um, And that's really, again, reinforcing those gender dynamics. And psychoanalysis is a really good tool for understanding how these happen unconsciously without filmmakers necessarily even being aware that they're doing it, how they reproduce these gender relationships. So let's jump into the movie. Uh, The first time we meet or hear Norman's mother, Norma, is when uh, they're arguing about Marion coming over to the house for sandwiches. So Norma demeans him and derides him for his disgusting sexual impulse. And uh, what, what is the significance of this argument, this first argument that we hear? So within psychoanalytic theory, part of the mother's role is to let go of the child at a certain point, that she is there for the child at the beginning, but for the child to become an adult, independent, she has to let go. And so using that theory, looking at the film, you see that the mother isn't letting go. She's still there, presence in Norman's life. She's pulling him back. She doesn't want him to go out and have a relationship of his own. And she's treating his, let's say, adult sexual desires as something dirty and sinister. And so this is where we see the mother as this kind of bad, overbearing mother who's there to not let him become an adult so yeah even though she's not really there and do you does norman want marion to hear him fighting with his mother or uh, is it is it just happenstance that marion hears him yeah i think that that's part of the plot device i don't necessarily think that he intends for her to hear him but i mean that's just my interpretation Um, So I think that's part of his psychosis is that the mother screams through him at the at Marion or she wants Marion to hear, but not necessarily him, if that makes sense. Yes. 
So, uh, so they, Marion and Norman settle into their conversation in the back room of, of the office. Norman seems pretty composed throughout the conversation in the beginning uh, until Marion suggests putting his mother in an institution. Why does he get so upset about this? I think that's what, this is one of the most interesting sequences, I think, in the film, where you really figure out the, I suppose, the, the kind of the relationship between Norman and his mother, but also the kind of fears that Norman has about his own identity collapsing, his own identity being torn apart, that he is one with the mother, the two joined, she can't go anywhere else. And so in the background of the scene, you see all of this iconography, all of this symbolism of the mother in that space. So you see that big, I think it's an owl with its wings outspread, like in an attack position, and it's representing the mother there who's kind of overlooking Norman. So I think that Norman in this mother identity hears Marion basically say, you're going into a home. So because they're the same person at the same time, we don't know it at that point. But like Norman is Norma. And basically yeah. she's hearing this message of you're going into a home. You're, we're taking you away from your son. So I think it's That's a yeah, fascinating scene. Very much. Uh, so Marion is then uh, murdered in the shower by Norman, dressed as his mother. Uh, why does he commit the murder and why does he do it dressed as his mother and and how can psychoanalysis help us interpret this scene in a way at, at that point norman hasn't become a fully psychosocial being he hasn't gained independence he hasn't been able to because of the mother take up his normative role as a a, a normal heteronormative person uh-huh. and so because he's conflicted and he's torn between the mother's identity, pulling him back to a relationship with her and his own masculinity wanting to express sexual desire for a woman. He's not able to manage that. He's not able to deal with that. And therefore, the mother takes over at this point and goes and takes away the desire. So takes away the, the object of desire by killing Marion. And that's why he wears that outfit, because it's not him doing it in his psychosis. It's the mother that's doing it. Because he actually, he's a normally a very nice guy, apart from when he's the mother. I see. Do you see any significance uh, to the murder happening in the shower? Or Yeah, it's, I mean, it's one of the most vulnerable places you can be. It's a place of, you know, exposure. And also, again, if we're thinking in psychoanalytic terms, it's a place where a mother bathes a child, you know, well, not necessarily a shower, but in the bathroom, in a, in a kind of a safe space where somebody is unclothed, where they feel vulnerable, but also safe with the mother. So it is that, you know, the mother coming in and murdering somebody in that place is even more distressing. It's because of that vulnerability. So how does Norman's uh, relationship with his mother fit into uh, Freud's theory uh, regarding Oedipus, the Oedipus complex? Well, I suppose what would happen in psychoanalytic theory is that in order for the infant boy, for him to become a boy, he needs to leave and repress the desire for the mother and go and understand himself as being more like the father. Um, So he has to repress his desire for the mother because at one point in his life, he would have been in this symbiotic, lovely relationship with the mother. And now he has to see himself as separate from that. And so the normal process is he rejects her And he goes on and he's like the father. And if that doesn't happen, like in the Oedipus crisis, then all disaster happens. 
So it is the big tragedy when that doesn't happen. And so for Norman, he doesn't get to do that because of the mother. She's, she, he never lets go of her. He's never able to get away from her. He's never able to take up the position of the father because there is no father. The father has died. So this is the kind of the, the Oedipal drama played out and what happens if it doesn't, if the child doesn't develop normally and move away from the mother and reject her. So very, and, very nice message there, isn't it? <laughs> reject your mother. <laughs> um, yes, it's uh, beautiful. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, why does Norman then dress up like his mother to kill uh, Arbogast, the, the private investigator? Um, because he's at that point. So Arbogast, when he arrives, he's very suspicious of Norman and he suspects something is awry. And so when he hears the mother, you know, in the background, he hears that she's calling to Norman and Norman denies her existence, denies there's anybody there. There's that point at which he's about to realise that there's something awry. And so it's, and again, it's Norman. Norman doesn't feel like he's the killer. He never really understands himself as the killer. He understands himself as a normal, shy guy. And it's the mother that is this violent impulse because she's the one. It's mother blame over and over again. So it's always mother the mother. Mother blame. Yeah. And so it's always the mother who's the fault of, you know, who's at fault. She's the one who has caused the child to be a bad child. And so it kind of reproduces this kind of common narrative we have that if there's something wrong with an infant or if there's something wrong with the child, even if they're an adult child, it is not their fault it is the mother's fault. She did not do a good enough job. And so the murder is because of, it's her, it's not him. Wow. She's to blame, not him. Mm. So is Norman a killer without a mother? If he yeah. had no mother? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Is that if, it, or if it were the other way around, would he be a killer? I think in the reading of the film, no matter which way you look at it, the mother is blamed. So in one sense, they make this reference to, at the end of the film, to she wanted to go and get remarried. She wanted to go and have a relationship of her own. And that is, that's kind of suggested to be why Norman went crazy. And then there's another reference to her being too suffocating. So again, this, this kind of motif of the owls and the birds constantly present in Norman's life shows that she's just always there. She never let him go. So she's either too much of a mother and too smothering or she's leaving him too early and so there's this I suppose kind of conflicted narrative but ultimately as with lots of horror films that have these terrible mothers it's the mother who causes the child to do bad things in a way so it's never it's never the child's fault. So why do you think we blame the mother and uh, is that fair? Absolutely not. No, I think these are narratives that is, is absolutely not fair. They're narratives that are there. I think they're, they kind of follow a, a Christian Judea tradition by which mothers are meant to be all sacrificing. They're meant to give up everything. They're meant to do whatever's in the best interest of a child or perceived to be in the best interest of a child and to be fairly domesticated and not active agents, not have their own desire, not go and pursue their own interests. And so everything needs to be dedicated to the child. And when that doesn't happen, or it happens differently, that that's punished in the kind of narratives we have that follow that tradition, that mothers need to be put back in their place. They need to know the rules of the game, um, and therefore they're punished for anything that's perceived to be in any way deviant. And in the book, I draw from melodrama, which does something quite similar in that if mothers have their own desire and they want to have relationships or they want to do, you know, have careers, they're punished for that. So they're punished for thinking that they can do something else besides mother. 
Um, so we see that trope quite often in even in television narratives, in literature, where mothers can only be that. They can't be anything else but. How do you think this kind of narrative uh, is contributing to our modern society? Um, I think it's one that needs to be really disrupted and really challenged because obviously families take many different forms and it is not simply there is no way one way to mother there's no one way to parent that there's lots of different family dynamics there's people who are brought up with many different scenarios in many different ways and so there's not one person the mother who's just responsible for a, a child's total identity and also there are many different types of parents that aren't mothers so there's lots of different parenting styles and lots of different kind of parenting traditions now so this uh, this reinforcement of an idea of either a good sacrifice and gives up everything or a bad mother who does other things apart from mother it's it's fairly you know it's fairly redundant now it needs to be challenged and it needs to be changed so it's nice to see when films come out and they do that or when television series come out and they do that and i think Bates Motel started to go some way towards explaining that this was not the mother's fault, that there was something else going on, that she was kind of trying her best in difficult circumstances. And so it provides a little bit more contextualization for what's going on within her family. So when Psycho first came out, it, it was, how was it received by critics? And how did that compare with the movie's box office success? Um, essentially, what did the audiences get? What did audiences get that critics didn't? Um, I think, but the audiences, I mean, it's funny that there was a film that came out the same year um, called Peeping Tom, and it does pretty much the same thing. So it, the, there are two films. Peeping Tom is, again, about uh, a young guy who's quite nice but who's also a murderer. Um, and Psycho is about Norman Bates, who's quite nice, but is also a murderer. Um, in Psycho, it's the mother that's at blame. And in Peeping Tom, it's the father. And Peeping Tom died to death, both critically and with audiences. Wow. Yeah. And Psycho, was, audiences loved it. First of all, obviously, because the star is killed, you know, 20, 25 minutes into the film, but also because you're sympathising with this character. So they loved the fact that this is a bit ambivalent. This is a guy that you're drawn into. And then, you know, the rug is pulled from under you and you realize that this is the killer. So there was a big twist film. There's a nice guy as the hero and there's a big star and there's a big surprise in the middle of it. But yeah, the, the mother character wasn't really interrogated to the same extent as, let's say, Norman Bates. And psychoanalysis is also really popular at this time. So, you know, it's really trendy in films of the time to make reference to it. It was a big kind of, there was a lot of public interest in psychoanalysis and the family. Um, so we see it in lots of films of the time. Yeah. So I, I was going to ask, what is the state of psychiatry at that time? Uh, and and we read that psych patients were treated with shock therapy. How was, uh, how has our understanding changed? Uh, how has treatment changed? And I think there's a, there's a lot more sympathy. Now. Again, I'm not a psychiatrist and I'm not a practicing psychoanalyst. But I think at that time, there was a lot of pathologization of, you know, different conditions or different personality traits. And so there was a real interest in finding these psychiatric causes to deviant behavior. Nowadays, there's a little bit more, I suppose, sympathy and nuance. Even things like electric shock therapy still exist, but they're much more patient-centered and they're much more focused on, you know, how do you address the needs of the patient rather than 
you know, just kind of diagnosing and leaving it at that. I think the film Psycho goes some way towards, you know, sympathising with Norman, but it's pretty much a diagnosis. And that's the novelty of it. It's we can label this thing that he has. We can call it psycho. Um, whereas nowadays, even the term psycho is is fairly problematic. You don't define somebody by their illness. You, you see them as a human being with maybe an illness. Which must have been uh, the fact that the end scene where he's being when the psychiatrist comes out and is essentially diagnosing the main character of the movie must have been uh, very, uh, you know, a good closure, I guess, for audiences at the time, something that they would have been very excited about. Excited about, but also I think it's quite sinister because you have, you know, in the monster movies of the 1930s and 40s, it's very clearly defined as a monster that's non-human or ghostly or supernatural. Oh. And now we have this human being who walks amongst us, who seems like a nice person um, and is the killer. So, you know, the way we hear this phrase now, and it's a horrible thing to say, but when, um, you know, somebody has been a mass, you know, committed mass murder, and a neighbor says, well, they were always very nice to me and they paid their rent on time and they were a good person. And that's the terror is that you can't see it. You can't immediately identify it. So I think that's the fascination with something like Psycho was. It was a very early example of this, of humanizing the monster and that being both cause, you know, I suppose a certain amount of empathy, but also fear. So at the end of the day, we always ask our guest experts this question. If you had to blame a person or a thing, it can be a concept that for the murders committed by Norman Bates, who or what would you choose? I'm going to blame Hitchcock for this. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to blame him for, yeah, kind of for, you know, I suppose damaging the reputation of mothers um, for, you know, implying that that children are you know their personalities are totally tied into the behavior of the mother um yes i think norman is the killer but i think hitchcock is the deviant (laughs) wow um well thank you so much sarah for uh speaking to us about these uh murders in psycho no problem always a pleasure Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist. To find out if it's right for you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have stress and anxiety we carry around as we go about our everyday life. At The Alarmist, we know it's always better to say it out loud and talk it through. Whenever I stress about the sinking of the Titanic, I don't sit with those thoughts in a dark room. I turn on the lights and dive right into it. Therapy is a great place to get things off your chest and work through what's really going on. Maybe you can't stop spiraling or catastrophizing. I started therapy over 10 years ago and never looked back. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Heck, we sometimes change our minds and rethink the verdict at The Alarmist. And that's also okay when it comes to therapists. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Alarmist today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Alarmist. With us today, we have producer Clayton Early. Hello. And fact checker Chris Smith. Hello. I have to say, I love Psycho and it's so enjoyable. Mm -hmm. And listening to Sarah talk about the you know, everything behind the messages behind the movie, I felt a lot of shame or something. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, we, we're we, we've been uh, just thinking about how const these narratives are constantly mm-hmm. being fed to us mm-hmm. and how that could, you know, really shape our, our perspective of of women and mothers in society is uh I don't know. It just felt very heavy suddenly. <laughs> yeah, it did. Yeah, you, you know what was fascinating too is that our whole study is that it's it, this all this happens on a subconscious level. It's it's not like there's a, somebody with an agenda who's sitting there right. making sure everybody has to write mother characters this way. It just kind of happens, which is that's to me right. the scariest thing. No, that's the <laughs> like, real horror film. <laughs> right, unbeknownst to us, we're just reinforcing these like really oppressive gender roles. <laughs> Right, and and okay. and, it, and it, it's popular, so we keep doing it. Um, it it was really really fascinating to, um, to listen to her talk about it. And you know what I found also? I found that, you know, I feel like we're lucky we were able to watch this movie from a modern perspective. I feel like at the time you'd be scared shitless <laughs> watching this right. movie, but because it's really this relic. And, you know, it's been discussed and then discussed again. And that, that I just, I just feel like as a modern, as a modern viewer, I felt lucky that we were able to sort of 
um, be far enough removed from it that we could just sort of watch it on, a, on and sort of study it in a way. Although, what does that say about us that we weren't as scared maybe because we're more conditioned to the monster being among us, right? Oh. <laughs> like right. There's something exactly. to be said about might have been cool to be that one of those audience members back in the day and to be like, Oh my God, my neighbor could be the murderer. Like the nice guy could be the murderer. Whereas now I'm like, every nice guy is a murderer. That's <laughs> like, a trick. Yeah, that exactly. Guy. It's just a trope we've come to expect and we don't trust anybody. I don't trust anybody. Exactly. Well, <laughs> <laughs> now the movie is the nice guy is the nice guy. Stop. <laughs> I mean, I, just thinking about the fact that the peep, what was it called? Peeping Tom. That was the right. other movie mm-hmm. at the time, mm-hmm. which was just about a, a dad, a father who wasn't good. And right. it was just like, no one wants to watch that. <laughs> right. Dads are I great. Know. Let's hear about that bad mom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Dad. Dads are great. Leave them alone. <laughs> um. <laughs> it's the 60s. Leave them alone. Keep the moms at home. <laughs> um, I also thought it was, I, I thought it was fascinating how she said, uh, the obsession in the 60s with just psychoanalysis and putting a label on people mm, as yeah. opposed to the sort of sympathy we have with patients um, right. today and how we sort of humanize them a bit more gave me a little more hope for for us as a, as a human species. Yeah, I, I guess in a way, like what we were talking about, how the neighbor, you know, the nice neighbor could actually be the killer and we don't trust anyone anymore in a way is good because nice the nice neighbors were killers before. Uh, right. So now we're just aware <laughs> we're walking so. around mm-hmm. being like, you could be a killer. You could be a killer. You could be a killer. And maybe that's not healthy, but, um, to your point, Chris, the fact that, uh, n- labeling, we've come a long way from labeling, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, well, at the time, the, fa- the fascination was just in putting a label on it being like, oh, this person's this. This person is this and move on. You're move, a bad mother. On. You're a bad mother. You're a psycho. Solved it. You're. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was very interesting um, what uh, Sarah had to say about just like there were certain things I hadn't ever considered watching the film. And for example, when she said, um, you know, when Marion was talking to Norm in that scene and, you know, talking about going to the home that like, she's talking to Norma at all times. Like I never considered mm-hmm. that, you know, in my mind, I kind of separated the two in the way that Norman kind of seems separate himself from Norma. But like in the moment, everything that Norman is hearing is what Norma is hearing, you know? Yes. Know. That to me is a very fascinating way of, I don't know. I, I want to rewatch the movie with that in mind. It's just right. to like, have that background. And I also loved what she said about um, the shower scene, how the the bathroom being like equally vulnerable, but also a, a very safe place, like a mother bathing her child I there. Know. And like mm-hmm. the, the, the dichotomy of that, I thought was a really cool way to look at that scene. Yeah, I hadn't thought of the mother baby bathing aspect of it all. I mean, when you think about, yes, a, a bathroom, a shower is very uh, vulnerable. I always think of like, God forbid a, a natural disaster happened while I was yes. in, while I'm in the shower. <laughs> I've had that thought. <laughs> <laughs> or just like any situation where I'd have to run out of my house. Uh, mm-hmm. In the buff? In the buff. Um, it, it, yes. It, you're, you're caught off guard. Your door is usually closed. Do you, you think know? Mm-hmm. the neighbors would be more likely to try and save you if you're naked than if you're clothed? Yeah, I think I have good neighbors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, I just mean like, oh, whoa, you? she's. Oh. Uh, <laughs> we should uh, go over here and and save her. Um, Look, whatever reason, I don't, I don't care. Whatever gets them to save me, I don't care. Um, also, it was fascinating hearing her talk, and this is something we could have put up on the board, is the Judeo-Christian tradition Mm -hmm. that the mother is all sacrificing and does not pursue their own interests, and how she connected that to also in melodramas, how we watch, uh, you know, a woman pursue her own desires, whatever they may be or whatever, and she's always punished for it. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Literal, Jesus Christ is what I'm blaming. Exactly. But, like, going back to Judeo-Christian tradition, I feel like that could now be a we can just put that in our back pocket for future alarmy alarmist episodes because i think judeo-christian tradition is a good way of explaining sort of these i guess reinforced gender roles mm-hmm. yeah I, I, I really appreciated her point about you know there's uh many different ways of parenting nowadays you know like there's no one way to mother or father you know so it's like it's almost dated now this notion of mm-hmm. like a, a parent's role or a mother's role is to sacrifice everything for her child. And yet we still kind of punish mothers for not doing that. Yeah. I mean, I would say in our circles that, you know, we've come along, you know, that those roles have changed, but I wonder if those roles have changed around the world, you know, mm-hmm. like I wonder, right. I don't know. I just feel like it's alive and strong gender well, <laughs> normative, uh, narratives and uh paraphernalia is not the right word um (laughs) (laughs) Um, propaganda propaganda thank you (laughs) (laughs) oh my you were gonna say promoting yeah (laughs) yeah like club promoting Uh, yes (laughs) uh yeah the uh Sorry, you were going to say something important, Chris. Yeah, no, I wasn't going to say anything important. I just, I also think that, um, you know, despite these narratives being pushed down our, our, in our face, there's also like the backlash to that where people get on women f- who want to be mothers, which is, you know, that's a whole trove of people who are mm-hmm. out there. And I just want right. to, you know, say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that you know, it's like, I do think there are these there's the narrative and then there's the counter narrative and and anybody trying to force anybody to do anything just feels like icky to me. It's like right. one, it's one like, way or the other. Exactly. It's like Take you it should easy. only do whatever you, do what want, you want to do. <laughs> you know we live I mean? in a modern society, modern medicine. You can do pretty much anything yes. you want to do. Mm-hmm. Leave people the fuck alone <laughs> and let them do whatever they want yes. to do. Mm-hmm. Um so she ended up sending Hitchcock to well she she blamed Hitchcock. We didn't Hitchcock even put him is on the, the board. Deviant. That's yes. true. We did. Well, yeah. And I, I know that we tried to separate um Hitchcock the, f- the the writer from the actual events. This is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. We in fact put um Norman Bates and Norma Bates both were put in jail and we slapped homogenous 1950s society, which I guess you could say Hitchcock falls into right. that, that society. That's true. Oh, that's true. <laughs> I like that. Claim. I mean, he's a product of that. <laughs> he's a member of that society. Well, and he's contributing he's a in a major yes. way, right? Yes. Um, I, I, I do think that to me, blaming the society 
sort of just after having spoken with Sarah or listened to her talk about this film, I feel like the society falls a little bit short um, only because, yes, I guess at the time, gender roles are like highly reinforced and there's a lot of this kind of thing happening. Um, but it's been going on for way, way longer than just the 1960s or 50s, mm-hmm. uh, like we said. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? I mean, it was so great about having somebody like Sarah on the show is that you, you know, she takes the conversation in that direction and sort of allows you to think about the the movie in a different way. So mm-hmm. what do we do? Do we stick to our guns and stay within the, the world of the film and then decide or do we jump outside? I don't know. I mean, what do you think, Clayton? You were going to say something? I, well, I mean, I, I get, yeah, that's the question. And do we blame Hitchcock or do we blame, I mean, the, he did, or the author of the, the novel? Like, I think we should we... take the blame away from the mother. So I think we should set Norma free. <laughs> free, wow. take her. Yeah. I do. Well, you got to think. Yeah. Cause Norma, it, through Norman, is in jail. But like Norma, the mother, who we didn't ever see because she was dead. It's not in jail. So she I was, guess, oh, so you're saying that Norma is in jail because the personification she is of Yeah, the personification of Norma through Norman is in jail. So Nor- like Norma never went mother. to jail. No, but no, Norma's Norma, dead. Nor- Norma's <laughs> okay, dead. Okay, okay. Let's be clear. I, in my mind, Norma yes. was in jail, but I, I understand your side of it as well. I think what we could do is and I think we're all we're, maybe this is where we're going, but is tease out these two characters right and not blame Norma. Norma, what what did she really do? Even if she was an overbearing mother, and she didn't allow, let's say, worst case scenario, like Sarah was saying, she didn't allow her son to right. like f- free go free from Flourish, her. She didn't like right, cut, right, cut the cord or whatever. Um, what did she do that caused her to be killed? It was really just get a new boyfriend. Um, right, you guys. I just had a realization. Mm-hmm. Norman's dad never went up on the board. Oh, boy. Right. Where's that father? <laughs> Absentee father. God, Why we're just are as bad. We... <laughs> well, he died. And why did he die? Ooh. <laughs> I don't know. Why did he leave them? Maybe Norman or just killed maybe, him. You... Here, let, me, let, me, let me just say this. Okay. Just to respond to that based on what sarah said which i really feel was like there was a strong argument to be made about like there's many different ways of parenting and are we really going to blame the parents for their child being who they are like Mm -hmm. do you blame is it really his mother or his father's fault no matter where the father was is it either one of their fault for norman murdering people do we need to stop blaming our parents essentially yeah so at maybe what these point parents do shouldn't we, be on the board say, at all. <laughs> at what point do we say, okay, I'm my it's own me. person? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when do we let that one go? Um, at what age? Can we just come up with an age? Because I'm very curious <laughs> about this. It's the well, cutoff. 90? <laughs> well, too late. The, 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 maybe, maybe then we were right about the... The, the society. The I, that's why I'm thinking, I think we should have sent... Just because that was the that's where Norman grew up in. That's how Norman was raised yeah. in that generation. And to th- you know that that idea that you you know can blame your mom or you know the fact that he took it out on his mom, right? She was the person he killed first. Or everywhere he turned in society, he would just see this um, reinforced this gender this narrative reinforced that is you know 
or rather that his mom should be good. His mom should take care of him. You know, yeah, he, he, a boy, like he said, a boy's, uh, a boy's, a mother is a boy's fav- uh, best, best friend. friend or whatever. Uh, uh, <laughs> boy's best friend is his mom or something. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. okay I think we should call it Clayton. Okay, I, wait, so what are we swap? Are we swapping or what, oh, what's yeah. going on? I, I'm big time swapping and I'm taking okay. Norma off. So I'm saying we are going to send, uh, what, what was the exact wording? So we have the homogenous, homogenous 1950s society. Okay. Homogenous 1950s society. Include, that includes Hitchcock. You're going to the alarmist jail. See ya, Hitchcock. And Norman, you're getting slapped. You got released from jail, but you're getting slapped on the way out. <laughs> Again, uh, not a lot of sympathy for the uh, uh, people who have these disorders. This is a disorder he has to well, deal with. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> not what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm No, I'm not slapping the disorder. I'm slapping the no. person who committed a murder. Right. Yes. His inability yes. to... Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So... The, uh, thanks again to Dr. Arnold for, you know, such incredible intel on, on the film. And uh, you guys, thanks for uh, helping us get to the bottom of uh, these terrible murders in Psycho. Again, also, know you, right? Know your neighbors. That's right. And assume they will kill you. That's what they'll say about <laughs> us. They'll say, oh, they were such good podcasters. You, They were the nicest podcasters yeah. in the world. And then we go on a like Thelma and Louise style. <laughs> yes, exactly. The It'd be a righteous us. killing spree. Like, you know, someone will be like wrong. I Amanda us. would want to be a part <laughs> of that right. too. Oh, yeah. So we'll oh, yeah. Let's get Amanda. Uh, yeah. Let's get Amanda back. <laughs> we'll drive by Amanda's house, pick her up, and we're off. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And stay tuned because next week we are going to be discussing the Central Park Five. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.